Hey folks, Josh here from North American Deer Talk. Uh, I appreciate you joining us for episode 42. Before we get into that, I just wanted to let you know about uh, Servit Solutions and the work we do there. Uh, Servit Solutions is a health management platform that I uh, operate and handle the day-to-day of that uh, particular business. And and what we do is uh, we do you know herd consulting for folks, uh, mostly on the health side of things, but also you know genetically, etc. Um, and and the the primary portion of our our business is uh, the use of vaccines that we have manufactured. So um, these are full spectrum uh, custom made vaccines. They are for uh, deer and elk. They appear to be working, you know, over the past decade, uh, really well for a wide swath of people across the country. Um, happy to uh, discuss a vaccine program. Uh, whether ours is a, a fit for you or not, I, you know, I can't answer that um, broadly, but I can say that many, many, many people from around the country are, are, appear to be pretty happy with the, the product and, and certainly the service that I can uh, provide for them. So if you want to just have a discussion, um, whether it be to just talk some deer or whatever, you can give me a call, number here, 844-478-2870, or you can... Um, just uh, head over to the Servid Solutions website. It's just servidsolutions.com. Hope you enjoy the show today. We cover some animal health uh, relating to fawns and fawn life. And then we talk summer pneumonia, which that season is right around the corner. Hope you enjoy. Take care. Hi, folks. Welcome to North American Deer Talk. This is your host, Josh Newton. It is July 6th. 2021 we have a scorcher out today so i figured i'd hop in the office here in the uh nice cool ac and do a recording for you i was just kind of going about my my days and i had come across uh, an article that i wanted to uh, share with you and and I it, it kind of sparked some additional thoughts in my mind of, of how we approach our fawning season and I've I've mentioned these before um, but it's I think it's always worth um, kind of reiterating those uh, as it as it is uh, as it is important um, how we we kind of go through fawning season um, relating to animal health. Um, so I'll, I'll read through this here in a bit and, and make some comments, but I think it's, it's worthwhile um, to look through the life cycle of a fawn and have some expectations for, uh, you know, various types of, of issues that we're dealing with. Um, I've been, um, I'm not sure the the right word and 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 it's not to this isn't to make it sound like you know everything is great and you know it's always perfect here because it's it's not at my farm um but for for some perspective because each each one of us um you know we have an operation they are all unique and different we deal with um, different numbers of animals different genetics different uh, geographical locations, weather, um, those types of things, and, and certainly different experience. And, and as I've uh, kind of gone on this, this uh, deer journey, if you will, 
um, my experience continues to lend itself in making um, what I think are informed decisions. Now, have I lost deer in the past that I shouldn't have lost? Of course. Um, and it's easy to look back on those things and say, oh, I could have done this. And, you know, I, I would say, you know, more often than not, um, it's, it's, um, it's a matter of you just questioning yourself on it. Um, like, Hey, should I intervene or Hey, should I, should I do something to this deer or whatever? Um, or at least that's the, the place I find myself in. So, um, I guess with that said, uh, we, we just haven't lost fawns here, uh, for a couple years now. And, um, I lost one fawn last year and I haven't lost any fawns this year. So, you know, we have a very high percentage of fawns that, uh, make it to weaning. And then ultimately through that first winter and, you know, make it to a year and a half old. Um, and if I had to pick, it's a little bit easier losing fawns than it is losing a, you know, three-year-old buck because you have all the time and expense into them, you know, from a, a balance sheet perspective. And of course, emotionally too. Um, but, um, Anyway, so so when I when I discuss these life cycles, I, I may not be targeting you know kind of <clears throat> everything that happens on your your farm, right? This is this is more an overlay of all farms generally, and then just kind of building on on some of my experiences. So you know, obviously, we've talked about preparation of of uh, animals and and pastures, etc. Before the fawns actually arrive. Um, you know, we do very little um, after the fawns get here as far as health goes. We try to do everything beforehand and we really are, are you know, extremely hands-off. Like, I, I, for a long time, I, I thought it was a, I was, I was kind of testing the hypothesis that, um, I believe that I could uh, stimulate an immune response in uh, mother-raised fawns, and I may, I may have done that, right? I, I think I was probably successful partly, but after a certain age, it just it wasn't easy for me to catch them, and um, it just didn't it didn't make it didn't make sense from a time-wise and from an animal stress standpoint to try to catch, you know, animals over the age of, of two weeks. So I've, I've mostly abandoned the idea outside of, of bottle fed, uh, fawns of vaccinating fawns when they're, when they're born. Um, you know, some guys have full on vaccine regimens and, and that's fine. Uh, I've, I've chose to just limit my my animal exposure through a density of animals or density of population. And we, we try to run extremely low numbers. Um, and I want to, I guess I'll talk about that a little more. Um, I, I've, I've consistently said, you know, four to six animals uh, per acre when they're, when they're, when those does are fawning. Right. And, um, I, I continue to settle, for most of my pastures on four. Um, and some people will look at that and be like, that's just, 
you know, that seems like a, a waste of ground, right? Like I can, I can have eight and, and you probably can, like there's, there's people out there that can, um, for me, I just find that the, uh, incidence of morbidity is too high for me when I start pushing, um, higher numbers. Uh, another word said differently, I, I don't want to have to treat fawns like ever. Um, I want to go out and like just find fawns that are in really nice condition or growing well that I just don't have to intervene and, you know, worry about just various uh, issues that fawns have to contest with. So that's why we've settled on that, that four number. Now, another reason is that if you have like, what are the big, what are the big triggers for um, fawns to get sick? Are there, are there events that happen that um, can induce these types of things? Well, weather is one of them. And when you have, um, you know, really big swings in temperature, when you have, you know, bad droughts, when you have excessive amounts of rain, when you have cold, like those things are all triggers. Those things all contribute to, um, you know, how much your, your animals can take. And if we're talking about pasture, so like I like to have, you know, green, we'll call it green pastures, right? So like we try to have um, pasture that provides some nutritional value to them. So they're just not eating, um, you know, hard feed and, you know, hay. Like I, I, I just never feed hay in the summer. Um, again, some guys, they do. And that's fine. Like if, if, it, if that's what's working for you, like, please, by all means, keep doing that. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just something I prefer not to do. Like I don't want to feed hay in the summer. Uh, we, we feed hay in the winter. That's that's how we do it. So the pasture provides, um, you know, supplemental nutrition for them. So we like having nice nice pastures or at least pastures that, um, you know, need maintaining and, and things of that nature. So if you have a drought and your pastures burn up, um, are you in a position to, um, you know, ha- handle that reduced amount of feed and you know, ground cover, etc. cetera. Uh, the same goes for excessive amounts of rain. Like, you know, I think we've seen some people post pictures this year of just absurd amounts of rain where like they're just completely flooded. Like if there's, if there's a fawn there, like it's drowned. Um, that's craziness. Right. And no, you know, it d- doesn't matter if you have four deer in a pen or if you have 40 deer, like you just can't, you can't prepare for things like that. But what you can do is you can prepare for, you know, multiple inches of rain, um, you know, on a weekly basis, you know, and, you know, if you have um, excessive cold weather, like, do you have enough um, cover for these, you know, fawns to uh, hide under art? Like, what, what are these stressors, right? And, you know, I look at the fawn numbers as those fawns continue to grow over the summer and say, well, if I have four deer on an acre and each of them has twins, I have 12 deer come weaning time. So yes, a three or four month old fawn does not have the same impact on 
the ground as, you know, a 150 uh, pound adult deer, right? Like I get that. However, from a proximity standpoint, like they're going to interact with each other and, you know, they're, it's just, it's a lot more deer on a given space. And, you know, if things aren't working in your favor, as far as, um, you know, let's just say weather conditions, cause that's the, the easiest thing to point to, um, you may have some problems. So, you know, I couldn't imagine having, I don't know, eight or 10 does on an acre and having twins, you know, if you had 10 does and everybody had twins and like, they're all like, they all make it to weaning, like that's 30 deer on an acre. Like that's a, that's a crazy amount of fawns. Like, I don't know how you keep track of that. Um, I mean, I do, but like, I, I don't want to, like, I, that doesn't, that doesn't interest me. Um, so anyway, that's kind of my, my take on that. And, and, um, back to the, the immune system in these fawns. So like, I, I don't, I just, I go out and lift the tail, check the gender out and then give them some fawn paste and move on. Like that's, that's what we do. So I don't stick them with anything anymore. Um, and over time I've just, I've started taking things out of the protocol that I don't, I don't need. Um, now does that mean you don't need them? Can't say that for sure. Um, and that's something that, you know, you have to kind of look at and, and assess like what works and what doesn't and like what types of things should, should I, or should I not be concerned about, you know, like an easy one is, is, are you in a selenium deficient area? Is your feed, um, not able to, you know, keep up with the amount of selenium that is needed? Um, cause those animals can only absorb so much of that, right? Like there's so much that's bio uh digestible and you know if they're not getting it from the ground you know maybe you can't supplement that in the feed i don't know um so do your fawns need um some supplementation when they're born it's possible it's very possible so those are like that's 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 one example and in that case you know you'd want to give everybody some some uh you know selenium when they're when they're born that would be a, a really easy kind of preventative measure to to take so um, I think that the, you know, the first, the first, you know, we'll call it a couple days of life are, are fairly easy, right? Those fawns, they nurse a ton from mom and, um, you know, for the most part, mom does a really good job. Um, that's, that's nature, um, saying, you know, she, she still supports the, uh, the, uh, servant species and, and, and everything's good to go. Um. If you, if you do find moms that are consistently poor, you should remove them from your breeding herd. And, um, you know, regardless of pedigree, in my opinion, not a trait that I'm, uh, interested in having or potentially breeding into my herd. So they should be removed. So don't, don't sell those to, to other people unless there's like a big full disclaimer, but I, I want to try to breed for, you know, superior animals and a, a doe that doesn't take care of fawns well is not on my list so i always want the ability to be able to you know bottle feed fawns if i want but i also want mom to be an excellent mother so that's something to consider now we've we've discussed the you know time frame and the different types of bacteria that we can test with and how the first we'll call it you know, two weeks of life anyway, 
the overwhelming majority of, of issues that we see are digestive. And I would say the, the overwhelming number of those are E. coli related. And uh, E. coli is just, it's caused by fecal oral transmission, and that's fawns ingesting um, E. coli or feces. Um, and then it's it's throwing their their systems out of balance, and that E. coli has a you know a, a really good opportunity to thrive. And these are you know these are pathogenic um, E. coli's that are that are bad for for these fawns. And these these fawns their immune systems are 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 nil. So um, sometimes you see a doe, and she may have picked up you know an adult doe. She may have picked up a, a bacteria or something like that. She gets squirts for a couple of days and then she's back to normal and she's on her way to, to just being normal. You don't even think anything of it. Um, so there's that. Um, when you get beyond um, two weeks and, and really the digestive stuff can go on, you know, however long. Um, when you start getting to three to four weeks and from a time standpoint, I would say that, that you know, this show's kind of fitting because... It's July, and you know a lot of the fawns are let's call it a you know a month a month old. Um, so you know they're four weeks. Some of the older ones are six, maybe even a little older. Um, and we're going to start getting into pneumonia season, and that brings me to the article that I will read for you. This is in uh, uh, Feedlot Magazine. And this was published on June 29th, 2021. Watch out for summer pneumonia in calves. Now, um, what I like to do is I like to um, read about other animal industries and the issues they have. And there is a ton of stuff out there on on cows. Um, So anyway, I'll read this to you and we'll make some comments and and finish up the show. Um, Let's see. It does not um, say who wrote this. So I'll just, anyway, feedlot, hat tip feedlot uh, magazine. So dead or, six, dead or sick calves are a scenario that is reported every year in a number of beef herds in the northern plains. Quote, a list of all possible causes for this can be very confusing to producers said Gerald Stoka, North Dakota State University Extension veterinarian. However, depressed feverish calves with an increased respiratory rate must likely, excuse me, most likely will fit the diagnosis of southern pneumonia, summer pneumonia, end quote. Man, my reading is atrocious today. I apologize. Uh, The common question generated by this diagnosis is why would nursing beef calves in the pasture with little stress in their lives come down with respiratory disease or pneumonia? Summer pneumonia is a respiratory disease that occurs in beef calves calves nursing from their moms. The age range of calves affected can be as early as three to four weeks or from three to five months in age. Calves are born with little to no immunity and are dependent on receiving a passive transfer of immunity from their mom through the colostrum. This this passively acquired immunity declines through time, and unless a calf develops an active immunity through vaccination or exposure 
to infectious agents. They eventually will become susceptible to these pathogens that can cause respiratory disease. Quote, this is why some calves are susceptible at a very young age, three to four weeks, and other calves become susceptible later, end quote, Stoka says. Stressful conditions often precipitate an outbreak of summer pneumonia. Weather events can increase the risk. For example, mid to late spring blizzards or rain can deprive the calf of normal nursing patterns and produce hypothermia or chilling in the calves. Late spring or summer high temperatures can produce heat stress in cows and calves. Also, dry, dusty conditions can increase susceptibility because the calves' normally innate clearing defense mechanisms can be overwhelmed, which allows for pathogens to proliferate and gain access to the lungs of young calves. Mixing groups together after calving, such as moving pairs to pasture or mixing groups together for heat synchronization and artificial insemination, Procedures can result in cattle reestablishing their social order and allowing the transmission of infectious agents. Quote, vaccination can be, an effective, can be effective in reducing the risk when pneumonia is caused by agents for which a vaccine is available, Stoka says. However, the vaccination in young calves does not, to, does not equate with a 100% response rate nor does it reduce the stress associated with weather, dry, dusty conditions, sorting, or mixing, end quote. And that's the end of the article. So you can see that what we experience as deer farmers, or can experience, is not dissimilar from that of the, uh, the bovine world. And, you know, I think... Um, I think the uh, Dr. Stoka there, he said, um, you know, we need to we need to make sure that uh, we're we're protecting these animals to the best of our ability. Right. Um, and and if we can, you know, if we think about this a little further, if we can put ourselves in a position to, um, you know, make sure, let's say the nursing patterns, you know, he touched on now the nursing patterns are normal that we have low stress environments and things like that. Like it's, um, it's, I think there's little, little kind of management techniques and things we can do to, to try to keep this stuff at bay. Um, the, I guess what really, after I read that, what kind of sparked things off for me is, you know, I, I haven't had any, and we deal with digestive issues every year. Um, I haven't really had any issues this year. I had one fawn that um, I did I did treat um, that was in in pasture, and um, it was really it was actually quite it was quite odd. Um, the so I saw this fawn and he was kind of exhibiting signs of diarrhea. Like mom was keeping him really like too clean. He was kind of seemed lethargic and just something wasn't right about him so what i did was i went out with my net just like i usually do and you know he's two weeks old and i like walked right up to him um and touched him and he kind of like stood up and like looked at me and just stood there 
Now, this is not normal behavior for a fawn. So I'm like, wow, this guy's in rough shape, right? But, like, he, he looked fine. Um, you know, he was filled out. and You know, he didn't stink when I initially got up there. Anyway, so I, I brought him in the barn. I ran some fluids. I gave him a little bit of antibiotics and, um, you know, some probiotics and such. And I kept him in overnight. Um, I treated him... Um, uh, you know, with some more fluids and, you know, vitamins, etc. in the morning. And I let him go back out with his mom. And I just, you know, I go out there and check on him. Well, come to find out, uh, it's a, it's a buck font. This dude is like super cool. Like he, uh, I mean, even after, um, you know, that incident, which was stressful for him, I'm sure. Um, he like, I don't know, but he's just cool. He like lets me like walk up to him. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I've I've never had a fawn act like that. Um, at least not one that's not bottle fed. So, and his sister is just the opposite of him. She's on the other side of the pen. She she don't want any part of me. Um, but you know that was a uh, these guys will teach you something every day. And, um, you know, I can kind of stuff that into my, my book of knowledge and, and say, Hey, like, you know, we need to, um, we need to know these animals the best we can anyway. Um, so really no digestive issues. Um, and, and, you know, for all that we've done prior, like, <laughs> karma karma will rear its head and you know maybe we'll have some really bad pneumonia outbreaks or something i don't i don't know i hope not um but you know for those that that pneumonia can be an issue it's really hard especially if it's you know summer and it's hot where you are it's really hard to identify um, pneumonia in these fawns because they're always like smoking hot and panting so you know the the early morning and the late night or late evening um, really becomes more critical um, as far as like timing for checking your animals goes so i i just i prefer the um you know prior to dark uh if i can i i'm not you know if i have to be a morning person i can be uh, it's not my preferred time to uh to work in the pens, I, I like, you know, I, f I feel like the, once the deer kind of get through the heat of the day and everything starts to cool off and they start getting up and feeding and stuff, like they're just super docile, right? And they like want to come up and they're like, we made it, you know, we made it through the day. Um, and I feel the same way for them. Like, you know, it's when it's, when it's uh, real hot, you know, you don't, you don't really want to do much, um, but you don't have a choice. Those guys can lay around and just kind of, kind of chill um but that's going to be a that's going to be a good time you know as far as time frame goes to look at those fawns and you know just kind of look for that shallow rapid breathing uh, nasal discharge eye discharge you know an ear down hair coat off you know all the kind of kind of telltale symptoms um and then uh try to try to treat accordingly the goal, if, if I was having pneumonia issues, right, the goal would be to have those pneumonia issues happen much closer to weaning. 
And I think some people do experience that because then we can start to tailor a vaccination program with our first shots prior to um, those clinical signs showing themselves and then, you know, boosters at weaning. And, and that's something we call pre-weaning. Um, if you're familiar with cows, it's called preconditioning, but we call it pre-weaning. Uh, there's an article on the Servant Solutions website uh, called pre-weaning. You can just type it in. Uh, it's been published in uh, the Nadifa magazine, uh, you know, the, the state association newsletters, et cetera. We've put that out for people. Um, and it's just the concept of, of, you know, prior to the physical separation of the fawn and the mom, uh, giving a shot, you know, multiple weeks prior, and then allowing those animals to maintain the same environment, the same social structure uh, as they did all through the beginning parts of their life. And then, you know, at the physical separation of, of mom and fawn, you know, at weaning, we go ahead and give the, the second shot. And this, this allows their immune system some time, uh, number one, to be challenged by that first shot. And then number two, um, they, they seem not to go off of feed as much and they handle the, um, they seem to handle the, the, the stress a little bit better. Um, so there's that. You can also, and we could probably have a separate discussion about um, how nutrition can play a part in that. All these things require work, but I think there are some supplements that, um, you know, you can, you can kind of perk up in the feed and um, they'll help with that transition too. So that's something to consider. Anyway, um, I'm going to wrap up here real soon. I just, I wanted to, I wanted to share that article with you. Um, you know, there, I think just to recap, you know, there's a couple things. Number one, uh, passive transfer of immunity. It's important. And I think it, it goes to show that this is a, a very well-established tradition of preparing adult animals prior to fawning um, with, you know, various types of, of um, you know, shots, a.k.a. vaccines, um, as well as improving pastures and things like that, and just preparing for those fawns um, to come into the world into the best environment and condition that we can. And then, you know, we touched on the couple uh, little life cycle type things uh, or time periods, you know, in the first couple weeks and then, and then beyond that. Um, I do want to, if you're, if you're still listening or watching, um, I appreciate it. I, I know I get on here and just ramble sometimes and I just, I saw that article today and I thought I'd share and share some thoughts about it. But if you are, if you are considering like you, you don't have to be a servant solutions member or anything, but if you're, if you are, um, you know, having any issues, whether it be, um, you know, diarrhea issues with fawns, if you're having any issues with um, abscesses in your animal, whether that be, you know, you're seeing some, some lumps on the, the face right here um, or underneath the jaw or in, in the mouth, um, foot, you know, foot swelling, anything like that, um, and you're interested in some free diagnostics, uh, as well as some consultation, I am happy to do that for you. So you just give me a call. It's 844-478-2870, or you can hit up the Servant Solutions website and shoot me an email. Um, the just I, I will I if you I will send you a diagnostic kit. Um, I will pay for the the coolers. I will pay for the shipping. I will pay for the diagnostics in the lab. 
um, and we will find out what the the problem is. So if you want to talk further about that, you want to get some free diagnostics, um, it's it's worthwhile. Um, you know, the only thing that we're going to ask you is that we get to we get to use the um, potential material that we find uh, from those diagnostics to further better our understanding of bacteria and deer and you know you get to you get to get some free diagnostics and some consultation out of it so if that's something that interests you please get a hold of me uh, and with that we'll wrap up and as always stay tuned for another episode of north american deer talk